Amen. Good morning, everyone. Oh. Good morning. Hope you're well. Right, salt and pepper. Black and white. Hallelujah. I suppose I am starting a series. You kind of read it in the new sheet. And you're always, oh, that what I'm doing? Um, Lorna did ask me, and I did say yes. <laughs> she didn't just put that in. Um, because actually, what is foundational? This is very boomy, David. Those foundations that we build upon are vital. Um, anybody who is a builder of anything will know that those starting blocks are so key, are so important. Otherwise, everything else is just slightly out. Everything else is just slightly out of skew. Uh, and we need to know some of those foundational truths and we need to keep them alive. Sometimes we're in danger of, of thinking, well, we all know this. In fact, there's been many a time when we've discussed, right, we're doing a talk on forgiveness and everybody knows it. So how do we make it? I can't even remember, but everybody will know this and we don't want people to switch off. It's very modern, isn't it? Because there's a great drive to always come up with something new, something different. And sometimes, especially when we look at joining the church program and, and people have come from a Christian background and, and we'll often go through what we believe and go, well, you kind of know all of this, yeah? But actually, we're living in times when it can be, it's never more important to just reaffirm those foundational truths that we build our relationship with Jesus on. And so, in my own unique way this morning, as I got lots of thoughts and advice from uh, friends, um, uh, I'm going to try and give a bit of an overview and a bit of a reason why we think this is really important, not just to speak about it, but to keep alive in our hearts. At the end of Luke 17, there's no need to turn there or scroll there, Jesus talks about the coming kingdom. It is not something to be seen, but it's something to be lived out from within you. The kingdom of God is within you. He talks about how people will go about their everyday chores and all of a sudden one will be taken and the other left. Now we're, we're not going to go into the rapture and whether or not that exists this morning. However, the scholars that I have read point to this Jesus saying, when I come back, it will be suddenly. And then Jesus moves, because it's only through man's organisation needs. I do like organisation and structure. Um, you know, that we've got chapters and verses, but then the beginning of, of chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of the, un, uh, of the unjust judge and how actually if this lady keeps on asking, keeps on asking, keeps on asking, finally the judge says, okay, I'll give you what you want. Now we have to be careful, because that's a parallel that's not an image of God. God. God is not an unjust judge. It's actually saying, actually, if an unjust person, well, actually, if somebody keeps persevering, keeps asking, keeps seeking the unjust God, if, if actually an unjust judge will do that, how much more will your heavenly Father? And this is Jesus encouraging us 
to, to persevere, encouraging us to keep seeking him, to keep our eyes fixed on him, to keep moving forward, no turning back, to keep our eyes focused on who Jesus is. And then he says this very interesting thing in the second part of Luke 18, verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This has to grab our attention. Look, the PowerPoint has it in red. Do you know what that means? Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Not that the stuff in black is any more or less, but this is Jesus speaking. This has to grab our attention. This is Jesus speaking, and he's asking a question. But when I return, will I find faith? I thought, how can that possibly be? I mean, it, it kind of sounds like Jesus is looking ahead into time and space. and you know, He's kind of going and he's thinking, you know, and, and you just need to persevere because, you know, Father God will bring his promises. And, and it's like he's seeing, and all of a sudden he's looking ahead in time going, oh my goodness, will there be faith? That's just how I read it, Ben, because I'm trying to see, so what do I do with this question? Interestingly, Matthew Henry says this, the question implies a strong negation. No, he will not, and he himself foresees it. Oh, my word, how, how can that be? I mean, if it actually means this as opposed to just kind of meaning it. Just in the previous chapter, uh, of Luke, Jesus is telling us what we can do if we have the faith as small as a mustard seed. As small as a mustard seed. And it's a beautiful image of faith because actually says if you have faith as small and as tiny as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And have you seen the bush that a mustard seed will grow into? Now, to be fair, there may have been more than one mustard seed in that picture there. I don't know. But you get it? Do you get the image of faith? And actually, it's not what we're talking about this morning. But actually, faith that small, does it this big? And yet Jesus seems to be questioning, when I come back, will I find faith? That actually unnerves me. Not that he will find some faith or small faith, but no faith. How can this be when the smallest of faith can move such a large mountain. Surely this would need to mean a total collapse of the church, God's people. How? How? How can this be so? Satan, that old snake, is a cunning enemy. Just give me an indication. Put your hand up if you've ever felt the enemy speak lives over your life. Put your hand up if you've ever felt or ever said, I think the enemy is attacking me. Put your hand up if you've ever been deceived. Fewer hands. Fewer hands. Fewer hands. The whole point of deception is we don't know it's going on. The minute we do, it's, it's no longer deception, is it? It's, it's, I mean, this has been a good one to put the Oxford definition of deception or even get the Hebrew and Greek, which I like to do, but I haven't this morning. 
I'm just thinking about it now. But truly the whole point of deception is something not seen, something not there. And the minute you realise, oh my goodness, it stops being deception and you then have a choice. One of the ways faith in Christ could be hard, no, impossible to find on earth is we've simply redefined what faith in God looks like. We change what it means, lower the standard until what we call faith no longer represents what God knows it to be. Now imagine this. Imagine this, and this is just Ben's story. Okay, that's the context, but imagine it. Jesus comes back again and says, show me your faith. We go into the back of the house all excited. Jesus has come. He's in my house. Flipping heck. Man, I've got to find my faith. Where have I put it? We dig around for a bit and then, with a big, wide grin on our faces, we bring out our faith. Look at this. I suppose it should be like that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, God. The size doesn't matter, okay? But we bring out our faith. Jesus smiles too and says, well, have you found it? We look at what we've brought. Jesus looks at what we've bought and says, that ain't faith. That ain't faith. And it concerns me deeply in the world we live in that we're redefining many things that we have called as true for centuries. I believe we're living in a time right now when what it means to be a Christian is being redefined right in front of our very eyes. That is my view. You can have a different view. But it concerns me. It, it deeply concerns me. I'm sorry to say, but it seems like in the modern world, one seems to be able to be a Christian and yet look very, very much like the world. When that whole word church, ecclesia, You've heard me say this before, this is a repeat. If you go back to this original foundation meaning is a group, an assembly of people called out, set apart. My own special people, he calls us. My own holy nation. And it seems to be in this modern world that you can be a Christian and look very much like the world. However, I don't think you can be a follower of Jesus and look like the world. So many things are changing so quick. I've nearly held on to my mobile phone for two years. I can't wait till I stop paying that crazy amount each month. And that's not like me. And I'm actually in a plan where I could change my phone every year. And I'm living in a time when I no longer have the number one phone. I don't know where I'm going with this. It wasn't in my notes. things (laughs) amen things are moving fast things are changing fast sexuality that is blurred marriage that is being redefined genders that are being confused truth is whatever we make it family roles are changing sometimes I don't think men even know how to be men anymore how do I sit down and speak to my boys about what it means to be a man I don't know I don't know. We've seen a shift in our moral drivers from an authoritative morality that recognises respect in hierarchy and tradition 
We don't like those words now, but what if I said a respect for those who are older? A respect for loyalty and commitment and a wisdom that comes from experience. Well, what are those words? Words. Those are not our moral drivers anymore. We are now in a point in time when our moral drivers focus more on fairness and freedom and choice. Often it is now considered immoral if we say something is wrong where you have people that are, that are consenting and agreeing in whatever because it's restriction of choice. Restriction of freedom. Freedom through Christ is no longer sought, no. Freedom is seen, felt and expressed through my ability to choose whatever I deem is right, providing it doesn't hurt somebody else because that will be taking away their freedoms and their choice. So we've seen a huge shift in what our moral drivers are. It feels to me as though Christianity is changing right in front of our eyes. But what, it, but what it means to be a follower of Jesus has unchanged. It's faith, but not as he knows it. It's just my thoughts. It is my view. But I'm deeply, deeply concerned about it. How does this happen? How do we shift? And it's getting quicker and quicker and quicker. We all see things. There was deception. We all see things through a lens. We all have a bias. Usually those come through our experiences or things that we're taught. The way our parents have brought us up, our experiences, our relationship, they all give us what is called a world view. A lens to see everything through, an anchor to assess the view of life. So what is a world view? What is a worldview? It can be defined as a framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world around us. Some have said it's an ideology, it's a philosophy, it's a theology. It can be a movement, a religion, something that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world and man's relationship to them. We all have them. Communicate with a two-year-old and they believe that they are the centre of the world. Everything evolves and revolves around them, what they want and their needs. Whether conscious or subconscious, every person has a type of worldview. And what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, decision and action that affects your response to everyday life. Did I have a slide? For this, no, I didn't. An apple sitting on the table is seen by several people. A botanist looking at the apple classifies it. An artist seeing a still life draws it. A grocer sees an asset and inventories it. A child sees lunch and eats it. How we look at any situation is influenced by how we look at the world and how we view the world around us. A worldview creates a lens to see everything through and people will paint a lens for you and then go on to talk about any issue. In this, free, in this world of free information, 
of information overload, we hear a whole lot of worldviews on a whole lot of things. And they can appear, sound appealing, sometimes familiar. However, if you miss the worldview or the lens that they're looking through, that they are speaking through, then you can go along with it, not understanding where it can lead. I've read people with differing worldviews, and they'll talk about the Bible and go, oh my goodness, I, I, I agree with all of that. That's an incredible ex exposition of that scripture. And then I go back and look at the view, the lens that they're seeing through, and go, oh no. Hang on. You think that? <laughs> no, 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 no. Then that view of scripture through that lens, then, then that can't be right. To me and we have to be careful if we don't realize when people are speaking to us that they'll have a bias that they'll have a lens that they'll have a worldview and they can talk about religion they can talk about Christ they can talk about the Bible we think this is good and then we go back and see where their roots lie where their foundations lie and go oh no here let me illustrate gosh is that the time I may say to you, this, don't stand. But stand if you, if you agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as Christians, then we, we, we all stand. I then speak to you and say, well, the word Lord means supreme ruler. And therefore, when we call Jesus Lord, we means we're giving him complete and utter control and authority over our lives. Then depending on your upbringing, some of you sit down. Depending on your relationship with your father or your spouse, and how that treated you, will say, well, I don't know if I want to give control. And then I talk about, we understand that the Lord is expressed as we know in God's word, his Bible. And then maybe some more of you sit down because actually for this to be completely and wholly God, God's word is difficult. And then I go one step forward, and then you're to live it out how it's preached by your elders, and then you all sit down. Simple saying, please stand if Jesus Christ is Lord. And then as you understand what I believe I just gave you as a biblical worldview, it actually causes you to understand what lens you've got. The word worldview is not in Scripture, but I, I didn't put it in my notes, but I found this Scripture in Colossians. This is Paul talking to the church at Colossians where he'd been made aware of a number of errors in their teaching. And he says this, this is chapter 2, verse 8. Be aware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness, him being Jesus, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Beware lest anybody cheat you through a worldview that is not God's. Our goal as followers of Christ is to understand and embrace how he sees things. How he sees everything. Any issue I come up to, what does God say about that? What does God say about this? What's God's heart on this? And I gain God's view on things and not my own. We should have a biblical worldview on all things. So 
What is that? There are a number of similar definitions out there as scholars and faithful servants of Christ have grappled with this. There is a, an ongoing theme. A biblical worldview, there is a God, one who is powerful and creator of all things. Sin and evil are real, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is an active opposition to God, Satan who is real and not symbolic. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who died for our sins. Salvation is, the, is only through Jesus, God's Son. The whole Bible is God's true word to mankind. And if you research it for yourself and do, do, you'll get different plays on the same things. The Barna Group, who, um, who specialises in studying religious beliefs over in America, asked these questions of Christians in America. Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and does he rule today? Is salvation a gift from God and cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have responsibility to share their faith? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? 9% of believers in America who went through this survey said yes. So what do we say? 81% of people can't be wrong? That's how Wikipedia first came about. In its early days, if enough people agreed with a statement, it became true. It became true. So what is the answer? Some are looking for a new kind of Christianity. I think that's dangerous language. It speaks right into the heart and the nature of our culture. <laughs> it's time to upgrade. It's time for something new. Christianity 2.0 is on its way. Download the latest updates and all the things in your heart and all the things that your heart has been craving for is in the next update. <laughs> That's interesting. I've either left half of the prints on the printer. Yeah, can you see for that? No, no, no. It should be out here. <laughs> now we'll see how much this is in my heart, hey? Oh my word, how well did I do my slides? Dun, dun. Can you feel it? Can you feel the pressure? <laughs> I believe we'll... Uh, no, I've done that one. So what is the answer? It's a time for something new. Christianity, that's not the answer. That's the modern thing. Oh, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Hallelujah, slow printers. See, it's not quick enough. As all these... Where? Let's just back up. I think it's dangerous to seek a new kind of Christianity. Download the latest updates as all the things your heart has been craving for is in the next update. Look what the Bible says about the heart. We need to understand, teach, and live out some of these foundational truths 
that we find in God's word? What are the building blocks upon which we build our faith in God? Through Jesus Christ. These are good questions. The problem is when we stop talking about them, or even worse, we talk as though everyone knows them and understands them. Last week, I spent a little bit more time explaining why we were passing a wicker basket round with an envelope in. We just think you all know, and you all understand. Oh, yeah, of course, we, we, we have to pay. Hold on. At worst, we speak and behave as though everybody knows what we're talking about. And again, coming back to sometimes, we have to be careful to spend a little bit more time at joining the church and going through what we believe and why. Because you all believe this, right? Some of them are at that statement, is Jesus Christ Lord? Yes. Well, we believe that that means ultimate supreme ruler over your life. Oh. And that all control and all decisions you bring before him. Oh. And maybe, as we're talking about what we believe as a church, we should spend that little bit more time so we just can't comfortably nod. Because we live in a time when we want to pick and choose what we think God is saying and God is not. That's not for now, not in my notes. These are good questions. The problem is when we stop talking about them, or even worse, we talk as though everyone knows them and understands them. So what should this look like? In no particular order and not doing them all. Yeah, and, and we're not going to go through them all, but over a number of weeks we're going to look at some of these foundational truths and we're going to unpack them. And, and next week is Pentecost Sunday. Now, I have, I have been born in so low church. <clears throat> yeah, so low church, I didn't know when the seasons were. Well, I didn't know it was summer, you know, but, you know, harvest all of this stuff, Pentecost, I hadn't got a clue. I'm being really good. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. I'm getting it. I'm, I'm getting higher church. And Andrew is going to unpack, not necessarily Acts 2, but that foundation of who the Holy Spirit is and why we need him in our lives. Is that right? Because that's so important. But where am I starting this morning? The Bible as God's word, the authority of Scripture. The word of God used to be a settling matter. If God said it and the Bible records it, then that's the end of the matter. I'll be honest, that's how it is for me. I don't always understand what God's word says. I don't always find it comfortable and easy. But if God says it, it's a closing matter. I was doing some research, not on Scripture... And a well-known author who I know and respect said, actually the Bible, I forget how he phrased it in his book, but it's no longer a closing matter. It's no longer a settling matter if the Bible says it. And I closed the book in the prayer room and my heart was heavy. I'm, I'm serious, it was heavy because I hate to say it, he was right. And I think we've got to approach it differently. Bear with me. I think we've got to take time to unpack context, to understand what we're saying, the audience, to bring in not other views, but he seems to be no longer enough to say the Bible says it, that's it. 
and I'm okay with that. Not bringing in other views outside extra biblical views, but it isn't enough. Well, what was the writer meaning? And what is the doctrine about that? And have we thought about this and this? But the Bible says it, yeah, but I need to understand more. Okay, then we will. At the same time, I want to rise up the place of Scripture in our hearts. So maybe we will see a day when at least in the people I'm around, people can say, if the Bible says it, it's a settling matter. But we must explore because people are there, even as I'm speaking. Not necessarily now, I can't see anybody. This is an example. But you've got your phones out and you're Googling your favourite speaker. What does he say about truth? Or your book or the podcast? We've got to embrace that. We've got to talk about that. But at the same time, I want to see the place of Scripture lifted up in our lives and our hearts. And we'll look at that. I believe this. I picked the amplified version. All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. (laughs) That's incredible. I need to read the Amplified more often. My sermons will be an hour long then. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) What else is really important and foundational? The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because to to be honest, we want to be our own Lord. And okay, we read the Bible and we realise that's not right. So, So if we're not careful, we just redefine and reshape who the Lord is. We just change Jesus into an image that is palatable and acceptable and call that God or call that Jesus. And the Bible says what it isn't. That's what I think Jesus says, will I find faith? Here's my faith, Lord. What? Here's some scriptures. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Romans 14, 8 and 9. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. I think we need to talk more about the narrative of the Bible. Do you know it is one book? Forty orders, forty authors over some two and a half thousand years but it's one book there's an overarching account of God's desire for creation it speaks of a creative God of a disobedient creation of promises and covenants the need for a savior redemption atonement it speaks of waiting and holding back you know God is holding back so that none might perish. It speaks of justice and judgment and restoration and God's kingdom. 
the Bible, when we look at it as an as a overarching story that is real for God's people, is beautiful and enlightening, and it creates a worldview that we see everything else through. We talked... Oh, I've got, I've got another one. The role of the Holy Spirit, as we said that Andrew wrote, John 16, 18 to 11, and when he... As the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgments of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is vital for today. Jesus himself talks about him as the helper, the one who will guide us into all truth. Can I? Can I doubt? Can I struggle with some stuff that I read in the Bible? Can I struggle with the view and thought that they're absolute truth? Can I wrestle with some of these scriptures that seem to just not make sense? Can I ask questions? Can I say, I don't get it? I don't understand it. Yes. Mark 9, 24. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. As we sharpen our lens, as we see life and issues, the world from God's perspective and not our perspective of God, then we go on to understand other areas. We can embrace suffering, sin, salvation, sexuality, even eternity. It's through the right revelation and understanding of God that these things, all these things, find their place. Can I wrestle? Do you know, Jesus doubted. Take this cup from me, Lord. Take this cup from me. But not my will but your will. Can we ask questions? Absolutely. It's with a heart to seek to understand. Somewhere in Acts, you have to trust me now, somewhere in Acts says, the men of Breen searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Is this true? Is this true? Mary asked the question of the angel, how can this be? And was highly favoured. Zacharias John the Baptist's father asked the same question, how's this going to happen? And he was struck dumb for nine months. We seek to ask questions, to understand, to embrace more of God and who he is in our lives. So let us walk together. And you know, we do need to find more time. I think sometimes we have spoken from the pulpit well, you will get this. And here it is. And potentially, well, I'm saying it. So therefore, you'll receive it as truth. And maybe, and we do need to provide time to wrestle, to talk, to question. The Jewish people would sit around. How do we, how do we understand this scripture? 
How do we work it out? I spent time with my spiritual mentor last week and we just sharpened each other. I've got another one over in America. It's not quite the same over Skype, especially when you start to disagree. <laughs> I disagree with him, you know. Oh, oh, sorry, the broadband's playing up. <laughs> but you sharpen one another. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So my question to ponder, which will be at the first slide on the website, is wrestle with this in your home groups, in your triplets, in your small groups this week. So what do you think of that? Wrestle with some of this. Because we need to see things how God sees them. We need to remove all lenses, all bias, all world's view, all world's view and get God's heart. Who decides what's God's heart, Ben? That's a great question in your home group. That's a great question in your home group. I want to leave you... Yep, we'll do that. We'll do all that. I want to leave you with this. I didn't have it down here. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Father, may we... Remove our lenses through experiences, through hurts, through wrong teaching. Father, may we catch a glimpse through your word and through your Holy Spirit of your heart. And may we embrace your view. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Andrea.